Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris of Velosos on social media, and today is So Over 50 Thursday. Now grab a cuppa and relax with us. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for joining us on So Over 50 podcast as we continue with the series featuring men in the So Over 50 community. So Over 50 intersects with all other communities. James or James is So Happy was one of the men So Over 50 featured this year to show the diversity in the Sober 50 community. Now, James describes himself as just a guy who sews and knits and conducts and plays the cello and teaches and rarely sleeps. James, thank you for coming on to Sober 50 podcast today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And I'm hoping that you get some sleep soon. Oh, absolutely. It's summer here and my schools are on break. And so I'm off for a while. I get to relax. And so, and do all the other things that you do. And so, and knit. Yes. Of all the specialist skills that you have, do you have a favorite? Uh, well, I mean, I am at heart and always will be a cellist. It is what I teach and it is you know, something I've done since I was nine years old. You know, I don't know how familiar you are or your listeners might be with how a classical musician is made, but you're spending hours and hours and hours every day with your instrument and you get to know each other pretty well. One of my favorite cellists was a cellist named Mr. Slav Rostropovich, and he always referred to his cello as his wooden wife. So <laughs> it does become sort of like a, a spouse to you. That's good to hear. All those hours to become such a great cellist definitely pays off, doesn't it? Because that's what you love the most. It pays off, but everything that I learned as a cellist has bled over into everything else that I do. One of the first things that you figure out in music is that there's no such thing as perfection, but it doesn't make you stop striving for it. And so you're always looking for ways to improve. And I feel like I bring that into my sewing and my knitting and everything else. That's true. You can aim for perfection and you just keep, keep at it. You just have to not beat yourself up when you don't achieve it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just keep going. How did you develop your online name? Well, you know, there's nothing really fascinating about it. I love that the word so, you know, can have a double entendre and like so over 50, you know? Yes. <laughs> we so and we're over 50, but we are so over 50. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's the same, it's the same idea. And there's probably a lot of things that I could have put instead of happy, you know, James is so crazy or whatever but you know I don't know about in Australia but in America we tend to say somebody is something happy meaning they're just crazy about it and so uh, there's that that sort of extra layer to it as well so and I am a little bit crazy about it that's creativity in action isn't it it is exactly so where can we find you online is it just Instagram yes 
I'm on Instagram at James and then it's underscore is underscore so S-E-W underscore happy. So you've trained as a cellist. What made you start sewing? Well, interestingly, I learned to sew, knit, and to do hand embroidery all from the age of seven. There was an elderly woman who lived in our neighborhood that looked after me after school and during the summers when my parents were working. And I think she thought, how can I keep a little boy busy? So she taught me those skills and I have such vivid recollection of sewing on her machine. She had, you know, the, the old Iron Maiden singer, probably, a, you know, one of those uh, 99s. But interestingly, and this didn't occur to me as a child, but as an adult, I think how fortuitous because she had, instead of a foot pedal, she had a knee control for the speed. And I don't think at seven, I probably could have seen over the sewing machine very well and reached the foot pedal, but I didn't have any trouble with the, with the knee control. So she started me off on scraps and she was a woman who had lovely store-bought dresses for church on Sunday, but wore what she referred to as a house dress during the day, just an informal dress. She made all of those herself and eventually I started helping her make them. And I enjoyed the knitting and the embroidery as well. And those have carried on into my adult life. And the sewing has, it's funny how it's, it played different roles at different stages in my life. When I was in middle school, I had a a class called the Bachelor's Survival Course. And basically it was just a home ec class for boys. And very quickly, the teacher realized that I had sewing skills. And so she had me off helping all the other kids in the class. And then later in high school, flared jeans were very popular and most of us didn't have any, but I was taking all my friends' jeans and ripping out the side seams and putting godets in to make flares and so on and so forth. And then when I first started performing and trying to make a living as a freelance musician. I used to make ends meet by doing custom window treatments for people, which honestly doesn't even really feel like sewing because it's mostly straight lines. It's more about measuring and cutting than anything. But still, it's always kind of played this role. Can I step back to when you were making the house dresses for the lady who used to look after you? Yes. I know we're supposed to be talking about men sewing. But I digress. That's fine. What style did she wear? Oh, she wore a variety of styles. You know, she had sleeveless ones that she wore in the summer where the arms had binding. You know, she would do bias binding on the arms. And so, but it's interesting because I learned so many techniques from her, things like how to sew a dart properly and doing the bias binding and a a variety of things that you wouldn't think a little kid, you know, would necessarily get into. But I, I've always been kind of a nerd for the technique of sewing. And so I think I really took to that very quickly. So even at the age of seven ish and onwards. Yes. I was probably not doing darts at seven. That was probably more like eight or nine. Oh, okay. Um, 
but you would have learned pockets as well and facings. Yes. And my recollection mostly of her pockets on things were mostly like patch pockets. Uh, although I recall a couple of dresses that had slash pockets in the, you know, side seam slash pockets and, right. and all. So, yeah. No wonder the teacher at school had you helping all of the other boys in the class. Yeah, well, you know, they were doing what I considered to be very simplistic things. We were making bow ties. Bow ties were very popular at the time. And we were making bow ties. And that was a, a very easy thing. Thanks for answering that question. Sure, of course. Now that we know your history of sewing, when you sew for yourself, is finding fabric a challenge? Finding fabric is a challenge on a number of levels, really. First of all, I live in the Midwest of America, and this is very much quilting country. And so a lot of the fabric stores around here carry a great deal of quilting fabric, but they don't necessarily carry very much in the way of garment fabric. And I have, between that and the fact that a man in a fabric store is not always a pleasant trip. I've taken to sourcing my fabric from online sources. And you get to, I feel like if you study what different fabrics are, understand, you may use uh, grams per square yard. We use ounces per square yard. Yep. If you understand things like that, I think you are often not very surprised with your purchase. I will say, I have made a couple of purchases of things that were sold as shirting fabric that I would call blouse fabric. From the standpoint of, it's just too sheer for a man's shirt. Might work all right for a, a woman's blouse, but it just wasn't really what I call shirting. I'll ask the question and you don't have to answer this. So when you described your experience in going into a fabric store and it being unpleasant, do you have any examples? Well, of course, it depends on the person that waits on you. But as a man, I'm often treated like I'm in the wrong place. I must have been sent there by a woman to pick up something. I don't know what I'm looking at or what I'm looking for. And that, you know, really ruffles my feathers. I want to just like yeah. throw down right there and have a sew off with this person and say, bring it. I'll show you skills. I don't know who they're talking to. Well, and it, you know, it's not, I, I don't think I'm an amazing sewer by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like every time I sit down at the machine, I've learned something new, but I do resent the gender specific attitude that I must not really know what I'm doing. Thanks for answering that question. I think that's important for listeners to understand. In that same vein, you know, I, I belong to several sewing groups on Facebook and people have a really bad habit of starting their post with hi ladies or hey ladies, I need your help or uh, things like that. And you know, people need to be aware that sewing is not a gender-specific thing. Yep, that's right. Part of running this series about men who sew or sewing for men is to make sure that people understand that Sober 50 is a diverse community. Right. 
it intersects with lots of people. So I'm not saying specific communities, but everybody. I appreciate That's okay. So I've had a look at your feed, but I'd really love to hear your answer for this question. Okay. Are there any patterns that you favor? Are there any patterns that I favor? Well, I have uh, my sort of go-to dress shirt pattern is the all-day shirt by Liesl and Company. It's a just a very nicely drafted, very sort of simplistic dress shirt that can be modified in a number of different ways. So it makes it very hackable, if you will. But I am absolutely in love with Elba Textiles patterns. I've made several pair of the Fremantle pants now, and I make them in linen, and they're just incredibly comfortable and casual to wear. And I've made three Cornell shirts, and I am finishing my second uh, Sanders button-up shirt, and I just traced the pattern for the Akerfelt coat, which I got some beautiful dry oil skin from flax oil skin from Merchant Mills to make that coat out of. So I'm a huge fan of her patterns and they're both beautifully drafted. The directions, the way she does things is very much the way I do things. And so it feels very homey to me in that, in that respect. And the best part of it is their clothes that I love to wear because they're just nice and comfortable and casual and they're great. You've talked about these favorite patterns. Has it been a challenge to find men's sewing patterns for you that you want to wear? Well, I think it's important for everyone to recognize that there are only so many things that you really can do with a man's shirt. You know, when you look at a woman's blouse, there are so many things that you can do differently, you know, with a a tuxedo front, a placket front, a pussy bow, different types of sleeves, you know, dolman sleeves, uh, big uh, puff sleeves, all different kinds of things like that, that a man's shirt just doesn't quite lend itself as well to. So what I find is I buy patterns and then I look at them and, and I think, you know, I should have just bought one pattern because there, there, there's such a huge similarity between them that I, I wonder if there's really much point in, in making all of them. So that's why I'm really happy when I find something that's unique, like the Elba textile patterns are, you know, they're very unique. They're outside of, you know, your everyday man's button-up shirt. So I'm always excited when I find things like that because I'm always very happy to try new things. I noticed on your feed that at the moment you're going through a period of making shirts with striped fabrics. Yes, although the shirt that I'm working on right now is solid gray. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I've ever made a solid gray shirt before. I've made a number of black shirts because I make the shirts usually that I perform in. But I don't know why I was really fascinated with this fabric. And as I'm cutting it out, I'm thinking to myself, this is so not what I usually sew, but I'm loving it. It's great. Is it freeing? 
having a solid fabric rather than stripes to work with? Oh my gosh, yes. Because when I'm working with a stripe or a plaid, because I, I like plaids a lot too, but when I'm working with them, I feel a pressure, not just to pattern match, but to pattern match creatively. And with this, all I worried about was if I was on grain. <laughs> <laughs> it's on grain. Good. Just cut it out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's so refreshing to hear. Oh, yes. It was very freeing, really. What sewing technique should people learn when it comes to sewing men's clothing? So we're talking people who haven't tried sewing men's clothes before. I think if you were interested in sewing a man's shirt, you need to not underestimate a collar. A collar looks like a very simple piece, but a collar is one of the most noticeable, one of the things that your eye goes to first in a shirt. And if your collar is uneven or if your points are not pulled beautifully, things like that, it can really make the difference in you know, somebody's perception of the quality of your shirt. I think for me, one of the most fun techniques and something that, you know, we use on lots of men's shirts is the sleeve placket. I love making sleeve plackets. They're a lot of fun. They look rather intimidating, I think, at first, probably to, to most people. And I really feel like after you've done a couple of them, they're not intimidating at all. I highly, highly recommend, and, and <laughs> this is, you know, I know a lot of people would just cringe at the thought of this, but I highly recommend taking scrap fabric and practicing making a collar, practice doing a sleeve placket. Don't just cut up three yards of beautiful fabric and hope that you can make it through the placket and that it looks okay. You know, you want to have a certain level of skill before you tackle it, I feel like. You know, and that's probably the cellist in me because, uh, you know, I wouldn't walk out on stage without having practiced, right? And so right. <laughs> I kind of feel like uh, it's always a good idea to take these techniques and especially, you know, like a, a sleeve placket can be a bit cumbersome when you're putting it on a whole sleeve, on a long sleeve or you know, when you're attaching a collar to the body of a shirt, you're wrestling the whole body of the shirt. And so if you do these things individually and just make a collar and collar band and just make a, a sleeve placket on a piece of scrap fabric, then you have t taken away some of the intimidation of putting it onto an actual garment. And it frees you up to let you make mistakes and learn from it. So it's almost like the practice is embedding the muscle memory that you would have when you're trying to perfect a skill, when you're doing the placket or the shirt collar. So do you recommend that people have a template or they practice on the pattern that they've got? Are you talking about with a, a sleeve placket specifically? Yeah, yeah. Specifically with a sleeve placket, I, I use a template for most plackets that I do, there's very little difference usually in just your garden mill, run-of-the-mill variety of, of sleeve placket. Uh, there'll be slight differences in size, but there's really not very much, uh, much variety. Okay. But 
you know, you can get creative with your sleeve plackets too. And, you know, if you're doing a plaid, you can, you can always cut your placket on the bias or uh, run a stripe the opposite direction of the rest of the sleeve and to bring a little bit more attention to it. But if you're going to bring attention to it, you want to make sure that your uh, technique is impeccable because the, the more you bring attention to something, the more people will notice any errors. That's right. So that's where the practice comes in. Absolutely. For yourself, when it comes to sewing non-shirts, what do you enjoy wearing and making? I have made probably seven pair now of True Bias's Hudson Jogger. They're just the most, it's another very beautifully drafted pattern. They're extraordinarily comfortable. Winters here in St. Louis are very cold. So making them out of fleece is a nice thing to have to wear around the house during the day. I would say that's probably my next big thing would be that. When did you discover the Sew Over 50 community? You know, I think it was probably six or eight months ago. I honestly don't even remember exactly how, except that I remember that someone said, oh, you should use this hashtag. And I hadn't actually discovered the community yet. And then once I did, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and you guys do such a, a wonderful job of displaying everyone's work and getting it out there for everyone, both in the stories and in, you know, the multi-picture posts and, and things like that. You know, I've just gotten in the habit now of including that hashtag in almost everything that I do, just because I figure... That's an important community to me. So, And that's thanks to the work behind the scenes from Judith and Sandy. They've been doing this for almost three years now and the community's just grown and grown. Yes. And, you know, I look at these things and some of these people have tremendous skills and it's very inspiring to me to look at everyone's work and know we're kind of all in the same boat. Yeah. You've started your sewing journey at the age of seven. So you've got decades of sewing experience behind you. Yes, I do. Although sometimes I do something and I think, have I ever sewn before? Just before we we started this interview, I was madly trying to wipe blood out of the neck of a shirt because I was hand sewing the inside of the neckband closed and pricked myself with a needle and didn't even realize it. That's how you know you're an old sewer. You don't even know you, <laughs> you don't even know you pricked yourself with the needle until you find the pool of blood on your garment that you're making. <laughs> For me, it always seems to happen if I'm working on a white or like a very pale fabric. <laughs> I just, you know, like when you go to an Italian restaurant and you wear a white shirt, it's like you idiot. You're going to get stains on it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so here's my final question. Okay. What advice would you give people who are about to start making men's clothes? I think that, you know, when I think back to when I started learning to sew versus now and the advent of YouTube and Craftsy and just, you know, the tremendous resources that people have now, I would say use those resources and don't just look at one thing. There are dozens of ways 
to put a collar on a shirt. There are dozens of ways to put cuffs on a sleeve. And the important thing to remember is to be open to trying new things, but as you try things, sort of make these mental notes. This is working for me, this isn't working for me. And eventually, after you've done several, you come up with your own method that's probably a conglomeration of four or five different things that you've seen, but that's what works for you. And so there's that. I would say also that you cannot pay too much attention to details in sewing. You know, the, I mentioned earlier that if, you know, if your collar isn't pristine, that's right where the eye goes. You have to do a lot of top stitching on a man's shirt. And so that's a skill that you really want to develop. And again, you know, it just goes back to the very basic skill of can you sew a straight line? And you think, well, of course you can. That's ridiculous. But when you've got some lumpy fabric under the foot and, you know, and you've got to make these phone calls and answer these emails and you've got all this and that pulling at you in different directions, you know, I I think basic skills are really essential. And I think that the other thing that people underestimate that I think is really important in making well, really, I can only speak for men's clothing, but I really think it's probably for everyone's clothing is I don't think a lot of people press enough, you know, and it's time consuming to get up from the machine and go press, but it makes an enormous difference in the end product when you, when you take time for those things. And I've noticed in your workspace, you've got a really good iron right next to where your sewing machines are so that that sort of helps you know making sure that you've got an area that having it all as close as possible it's a few steps away which is good I mean I don't have to go to another room but I'm also bad about not getting up like I would just sit at the sewing machine for hours and hours and that's not good for you either so you know that's one of the reasons why I have it set up the way that I do so that I do stand up and take a few steps over and gives me a little break from hunching over the machine and a break on my back. I always crack up when I see in these sewing groups, people say, I need a new sewing chair. What sewing chair should I get? Well, nobody can answer that for you because I don't know how you sit at the machine. I don't know if you're machine is sunk into the table or up on top of the table. I don't know if you sit back, if you lean forward. I don't know what type of body you have. Nobody can really answer that for you. You have to find what's comfortable for you and work with that. I'm not someone, I sit on a stool when I sew. I keep my back fairly straight, but I lean slightly forward and I I don't understand people who sit back to sew. I've got to get right in the middle of it probably because of my old failing eyes, but, (laughs) you know, I've got to get my eyes right down to see what's happening. But yeah, I mean, everybody has a different means of doing that, but there are certain things that I think that we all need to be cognizant of. My cutting table is just above my hip height. And I think that that's a really important thing that you're not bending too low when you're cutting out fabric. And like I said, I make myself get up and go press because it's not good to sit for terribly long periods of time. 
great advice, James. Oh, well, thanks. James, thank you so much for being on Sale Over 50 podcast on Sale Organised Style. It's really great that you have helped us through a few steps for those people who are ready to take on men's sewing and also raise some issues around, you know, what to know and what to practice when it comes to sewing men's clothes. Well, you're very welcome. And thank you for asking me. I'm, I'm really very honored to be a part of this series. And I love your podcast. I love the So Over 50 community. And I'm cheating a little bit because I turned 60 in May. So I guess I really belong in the So Over 60. But no, no, stay. But, but, but I'm, uh, I feel right at home here. So thank you for that. Thanks a lot, James. Thank you. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode for Sell Over 50 podcast on Sew Organised Style was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of James, sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to Sew Organised Style podcast, spelt with an S, not a Z, on all good podcast apps. Make sure you go back and listen to our Sew Over 50 podcast archive and catch up on this series about men who sew. Post any questions or suggestions you have on our Instagram account at Soul Organized Style or on our website at www.soulorganizedstyle.com or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>